Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Ginny. And I'm Allie. I always stumble over my name for some reason. Um, I just yeah. like wait for it at this point. I'm like, that little hesitation. <laughs> I don't know why I, don't, I can't just get it out. <laughs> I think some of it, it's a lot of things. One, I've come close to saying Buffy often. Sometimes I almost say your name because I'm used to hear, you know, like when you do it, I hear your name. So I kind of get like that in my head. But also because... I don't know. Sometimes I say my name, like when I'm trying to say my name too, if I focus on it too much, I say it like I kind of bungle it. It's like it's all weird. words. Like when you say them too many times, yeah. they start to sound like yeah. nonsense. But people, when I introduce myself, people often are like, oh, Judy. And I'm like, no, Ginny. And then the harder I try and say it, the like worse it gets. So I think I get that in my head too when I'm saying it. I'm like, oh, I don't want to say it wrong. I want to say it enunciate. Anyway, I guess it's my name. I could say it however I want. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, how are you today? I'm good. Yeah. I'm like very relaxed today, which is nice. You sound I mean, sleepy. I woke up like an hour ago, but okay. I'm I'm good. Like I just watched an episode of Angel mm-hmm. and uh, playing that one to the last minute. And no, I did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but like I, we were just kind of briefly talking. Like I literally made no plans this weekend, and it was yeah. like the first time in a while that I haven't had anything. And I'm like. It, oh, it's it's nice. more about like I have nowhere to be on any time or yeah. I don't really have to spend money if I don't want to. It's, yeah. it's great. So, I mean, I'm going to go spend money on food for myself, but yeah, I mean, that's unavoidable. That's true. Yeah. But how are um, you? I, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. I had to do work yesterday, like work, work, and I have to do more work, work today in addition to getting my normal chores done, which I already complained to you about. So I'm tired and I'm not looking forward <laughs> to the rest of my day, which is not the way my weekends normally go. So I'm a little annoyed, but whatever. It's fine. You should treat yourself to like go out and get like a really nice cup of coffee or something. That's a good idea. Like, you know, like do coffee. like one thing that's like, it's small, but it's like yeah. exciting. And also it has idea. the added benefit mm. of caffeine. Caffeine. So. Yeah, it's true. I meant to I'm do like, that at work on Friday, and I don't know what happened. I got too busy or something. Yeah. I am forever jealous of coffee drinkers. For you guys can, like, you can do that. You can, like, be like, I'm going to treat myself to a really nice cup of coffee. Whereas, like, yeah. the nicest cup of tea I'm going to find is in my own home. So mm-hmm. it's just not as it's special. True. <sighs> okay. So before we get started, I <laughs> had some additional thoughts I, I only just now remembered this, that I sent myself an email with like thoughts about last week's episode. <laughs> and so now I'm like, oh, shoot, I should have looked at this sooner because I don't remember why I made this note, but maybe you can help me figure it out. Here was the thought. This is the main thought that I had thinking about last week's episode, which was the one, well, really in both of them, but especially in the Buffy episode where we found out all this backstory about Spike, right? Um, I think an interesting thing about Spike is that and this is just like a hot take, so feel free to correct me. But I haven't, we haven't really seen him, like, torture anyone. And I kind of think he can't do it. Because in that episode where he, uh, the episode of Angel that's, like, a crossover with that ring or whatever. Can't think of the name of it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. In season one. Yeah. He has, to, he hires that other guy to torture information out of someone for him. And then in basically all his interactions with the Slayers, like, they're relatively quick deaths, you know, that he was going over with us. And in general, he's not... He doesn't really seem to be one to to draw it out. I guess I'm just trying to underscore again, number one, that he's like, I think it's less that Spike is more human than most vampires. And really that Angel, who was the first vampire that we spent a lot of time with, is 
particular Angelus is particularly unhuman. You know what I mean? Like we were kind of talking about that last week too. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting that I'm like, I don't want, it's not like it makes Spike a good guy, but I think it really makes him feel more like he's an animal, you know, like he's a monster and an animal and he has these instincts and he does it, but he's not, and he enjoys being a vampire and he enjoys winning, but he doesn't seem to particularly get joy out of like killing. If that makes sense. Well, Except for the part where he was driving them underground because of his showboating of killing people and this idea that he tortures or kills his victims with railroad spikes. But that's yet to be confirmed that that's actually right. True. I mean, unless like the um, the torturing and all of that could have just been a myth that he built up around himself. Mm-hmm. But the actions that he was doing that drove the group of vampires underground, that was definitely happening. But you're saying like... But it was ostentatious killing, not ostentatious torturing. Mutilation and torture. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think think that's a good point. Everything we've seen him do has been quick deaths. Again, I'm not trying to say like, oh, so so he's a great guy, but like... The way, like, and I don't think, you know, I think, I think I said, like, he's more like an animal. And I think that that's maybe, that's what I keep seeing in him. The more that we're focusing on it is it's like, oh yeah, he really, he's doing this out of nature, but not because he has some even more, you know, horrific motivation. Right. Again, I'm not trying to say he doesn't get off on it at all, but it just seems to be more about like wit. He seems to get off more on victory than on on violence exactly right it's more about like his triumph over the humans mm -hmm. than like the fact Mm -hmm. that he like caused them pain and and specifically with them with the slayers it makes even more sense that he's kind of drawn to that because that's really the ultimate like victory that a vampire can have but it's not again like he doesn't like string he doesn't string them up he's not drawing it out in any way he's literally just fighting them one-on-one and like is excited that he beats them yeah okay no i think that was my main thing that i had thinking about it, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And I I feel like that's going to be consistent, but maybe there's something that things that I'm forgetting or who knows. And my other note, I think we can talk about more when we talk about Buffy, because it'll be play into that. Okay. So this week we had, um, Shadow. Mm -hmm. So we left off last week. Buffy's really upset because Joyce has to go into the hospital because the nothing she's been dealing with might not be nothing. Mm -hmm. So, She's in the hospital getting a CAT CAT scan, probably among other things, and they find a shadow in her brain, likely Mm. indicating a tumor or something. And so they immediately have to schedule her for a biopsy to determine what it is. And, you know, it's not good. It is a brain tumor, and they don't really know yet whether it's operable. So Buffy and Dawn are dealing with all of this. In the meantime, of course, Glory is in the background, still trying to pursue whatever agenda it is that she has. Mm-hmm. You know, she's still making reference to timelines and her big goals, but we don't know yet what those are. But she, we do find her name. Like, they do call her Glory mm-hmm. for the first time. And um, she wants to do a spell for something. So she actually walks right into the magic shop, <laughs> buys the ingredients directly from Giles, while they're all sitting at the table discussing her. Just really mm-hmm. undercover stuff, guys. It's great. <laughs> and Anya figures out, based on the ingredients, when she's going over the receipts, that someone has bought these. It's like a bloodstone and an amulet to do some sort of transmogrification spell. And she's going to turn a cobra into a bigger cobra, basically. <laughs> so Buffy tracks her down at the zoo, good old Sunnydale Zoo, where mm-hmm. Glory and her minion are doing this spell. Buffy gets her lights knocked out. I mean, Glory is more than a match for Buffy, as we've mm-hmm. seen. And 
Buffy figures out that it's the spell is to track down the key. And so the snake thing like runs all over town. They need to find it and kill it, yet they don't. And so the snake actually finds Dawn's scent and goes to the magic shop where it basically just like screams at her and then slithers out. But Buffy and Giles mm-hmm. figure out that it means that this thing knows that Dawn is the key, and so they have to mm-hmm. now kill it at all costs before it gets back to glory. So right. they do manage to do this. There's a wild snake chase through Sunnydale, <laughs> and Buffy, like, strangles it to death, and Glory doesn't find this out. But it's a the first hint for everyone else that something's up. Like, they're all wondered why it was afraid of Dawn, and mm-hmm. um, Buffy doesn't really explain at this point because she's too concerned about killing the snake and then also dealing with her mom related to this whole thing Buffy forgets to tell Riley that or intentionally doesn't (laughs) tell Riley that her mom went to the hospital yeah claiming that you know she didn't want to say anything until they knew anything but you know, it doesn't help that Spike knows. Right. And so he's rubbing it in Riley's face and Riley also basically... Also rubbing his face in Buffy's well, sweaters. <laughs> yes. There's that animal Sorry, instinct he's, he doesn't like so much. Um, mm-hmm. But he, Riley really continues to spiral with this information. Like, Dawn's trying to comfort him and tells him, you know, I think you're really good for Buffy. She doesn't really mm-hmm. cry over you the way she did for Angel. That's not what Riley wants to hear. And so mm-hmm. he goes back to Willie's bar Picks up, I think, the same vampire it is, that we yeah. saw last time. And this time, he lets her feed off of him, although he then immediately kills her. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to the hospital where Buffy basically, like, shuts him out again. So. Yeah. Yeah, good times. Good times. <laughs> this is an interesting episode. Uh, it is. You know, because it's not filler. But, but it, it is another is. one where kind of nothing happened. You know, and I don't yeah. mean this in a bad way, but, like, kind of nothing happened. Like, this is an episode where Buffy's in the hospital and her mom is getting diagnosed. Like, that. it's kind of more, you know, of a, like, hospital drama a little bit. You know, not exactly. But it's just funny how, how, I mean, and that's certainly one of the themes of the episode, is that, like, this one is pretty light on the supernatural as far as things go. I mean, yeah, eventually there's that big snake, but the whole first half of this episode is literally, like, Buffy and Dawn, they're talking about cat scans. It's about Riley not knowing that they were in that. You know, like all of that stuff is like has almost nothing to do with the the general um, Sunnydale universe. Right. Which I think is a big theme, not only for this episode, but for this whole season. Right. I mean, like Joyce's situation is going to continue to be used as basically an example of like, hey, not everything that happens is supernatural. Right, and I think we get that underscored a bit where Buffy does go to the magic shop and mm-hmm. is asking, hey, is there some kind of spell that we could do mm-hmm. to like fix her? And Tara, Giles, but mostly Tara, who has mm-hmm. obviously more experience with this, is saying, you know, I understand why you want to do this, but the only mm-hmm. thing that she's ever heard about healing spells is that they tend to go very badly. Yeah. And she doesn't want to hurt her mother, so I think Buffy does kind of recognize that this is the yeah. kind of thing that medicine has to just take over, but yeah, for it's someone, certainly frustrating. <laughs> yeah, for someone used to solving all her problems magically, this is a bit of a blow. And for some, yeah, I mean, and and then you know, she's also got this. Buffy is so powerful, and she's been able to to stop th- more horrific things than this. You know, dozens of times in her short run as the Slayer. I guess it's a long run for a Slayer, but you know what I mean. And so it's like it really has got to be extra painful for her to just feel helpless. Like, I think 
it's just a nice example of how that stuff feels, you know, and for Buffy, it maybe is even a little more acute than it would be for a normal human, but also for everybody, when you go through something like this, that's how it feels where it's like, why can't I do anything about this? And there's literally nothing you can do. Exactly. And then for Buffy, who might turn to slaying to distract mm-hmm. herself, she also is up against a seemingly insurmountable enemy right. at this point, yeah. too. Yeah, so yeah, that yes. can't help because <laughs> there's... No way. I mean, aside from going out and slaying a bunch of vampires, like every time she goes up against Glory, Mm -hmm. you know, she loses. And so comparing that to like having no control in that situation and no control over her mom, like it's Mm -hmm. not a great time to be Buffy. Well, and even just last week, she almost got killed by a regular vampire. So even that's no guarantee that she can, you know, feel powerful and better. Right. Ugh. And the added benefit here (laughs) of knowing that like she has to protect Dawn at all costs. Yeah. 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 It's frustrating because what I want to say is Riley really needs to chill. And, you know, how does he not understand that, like, she's going through so much right now? But then the the true, you know, the, the thing that they've done kind of well is that she really has told him zero of this. So on the yeah. one hand, he should be I do think he is being, un, you know, this none of this has been going on for so long that it couldn't be like, you know, they've already been dating for more than a year. So, like, yeah, if you have a two week rough patch where, like, think you're not communicating or something like that's not cause to like go completely off the rails. I think that is a thing where they're, you know, they're just making Riley go crazy. Like, I mean, I Mm, had this realization when Riley was sitting at the carousel with Dawn that he's like, she's saying, Oh, I had my 10th birthday here. And he's like, Oh really? But he's not saying it because he knows that she didn't really have her 10th birthday there. It's just, he's saying really because he, that's just information that he didn't have. Yeah. Yeah. He has no idea that she's not who she says she, or who she thinks she is. And I, I forgot that he didn't know. Yeah. And then I just had this realization of, oh, and like, you could be, you could forgive Buffy for not telling Riley this thing because Mm -hmm. it is so dangerous, but she didn't call him or anything to say, Hey, I'm going to the hospital. Like, yeah, I think there's a difference between saying, I can't tell you anything. I don't know anything. And then telling him literally nothing, but like it doesn't, it's not, Oh, I have no news to tell you. It's there is news. And the news is that my mom's getting tests done and I didn't tell you like to the point where he's coming to their house and no one's there and he doesn't know why. Right. Right. And finds spike in Buffy's bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's unquestionably, she is pushing him away, (laughs) you know, or at least she's not letting him in, in ways that are, I guess it's interesting. I don't know. I I understand where she's coming from, though, because it's like it's more than if it was just the Dawn thing or if it was just the mom thing or if it was just the whatever thing. I think she probably maybe she would be feeling a little bit differently, but it is kind of a lot hitting her all at once that I can understand how kind of anybody would be like, I need a second to process it before you want to open up to someone. And especially she seems to be particularly the, the sort of person who like isn't super open about that stuff. But she could Maybe. tell him that much, at least. I mean, it's true. For, and for someone who's already assuming that she doesn't love him. And right, right. Obviously, a sore point is her previous more superpowered mm-hmm. boyfriend. And then to have another vampire telling you that, oh, Buffy opened up to me and not yeah. you. Like, Spike <laughs> that knows must twist the knife. knife yeah. It, it's, not, it's not good. He's not wrong. Moments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but now we could talk about Riley's reaction to this, though, which is ludicrous. I guess yeah. that's what I'm saying. That yeah, I know that she's been pushing him away for a long time, but I still feel like what I mean. And this has been kind of consistent. Maybe it's just because they're young, and I think it's. But mostly it's because the show needs to write Riley out of the picture. But like 
they never have talked about it. You know what I mean? Like you can't go off the rails if you haven't even raised the issue with somebody because it is possible in relationships to like miscommunicate. And then it's like, oh, if somebody just tells you like, hey, it really hurt my feelings when you did blah, blah, blah. then maybe you can work through it. (laughs) You know, your reaction shouldn't be "Mm, whatever, whatever we want to call what he's doing. I mean, the only positive is he killed the vampire, I guess, um, but... I, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I kind so of I feel like that to, makes it worse, oddly. Yeah. I was trying to understand what he was getting out of this, and I wonder if yeah. it was to understand Buffy's attraction oh, that's a good point. It, maybe. That's probably part of it. Maybe. Yeah. You know, but the other thing that really kind of made me angry was Riley's spiraling over this idea that Buffy doesn't get that worked up about him because life isn't, like... Life with Riley is yeah. like life or death. But I was thinking, yeah. like, that it's is a, a good, good thing. thing. Like, yeah. that might be a signal that Buffy's also not 16 exactly. anymore. And, like, exactly. problems with her boyfriend aren't the end of the world or exactly. literally the end or of the world. That I mean, or, or that your relationship shouldn't make you feel that way. Like, it's passion is one thing, but it's bad if if it's that much of a roller coaster. You know what I mean? Yeah, but Riley's yeah. not thinking that way. He's thinking, no. oh, well, then I, I, she doesn't care about me. Yeah. No, that's totally true. I had that thought too. Where I was like, dude, that's it's because she's yeah, exactly. It's because she's not a teenager anymore. And she's not acting that way. <laughs> oh, Riley. I, I'm really angry that they're sending him off in this way, but I I think I'm feeling more like I guess I understand it more watching it this time around, like rather than what I was remembering in retrospect. But I, it still makes me unhappy. Like this is all unnecessary. It is. I guess they're just, they're doing a good job of ever so carefully threading the needle to make this all plausible. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the part that I'm like, oh, every time I want to react to it as though, like, none of this would ever happen, it's like ever so, it's just so on the side of, yeah, I guess that could happen. So having my previous biases in my head, I'm like annoyed that it's not quite living up to them. <laughs> but that said, I mean, I, I, I know there's still no question that they're doing this because they want him out of the show and not because necessarily where he had to go. And I think whenever I do take a step back, I still do feel like this wouldn't have been Riley's reaction because he has been really caring and concerned with her. And like, again, you know, in this, he is there and he's trying to be supportive for her, but I can also like, he's not really asking her. I just don't feel like he's put himself out there enough with her to be so annoyed that she's not reciprocating. Since things have been going wrong, you know, it's like, I just feel like he needs, you know, when someone's going through something, sometimes you do have to give them space and say like, okay, I'll be here when you need me and I'll check in with you in a week instead of, I can't believe you're not putting me first in this situation when your mom is on a on her deathbed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like not seeing that, okay, Buffy's trusting you to take care of her sister when she can't or right, trusting right. you to do all the things like that's how you're there for people. You just do all the things that they just exactly. can't deal yeah. with and like, that's a way to help. But And again, that's where I want to say, like, it hasn't been long enough because there is a point where, yes, at a certain point, Buffy has to realize she can't just sideline Riley and expect him to stay there. But it can't have been more than a month. I don't think that this has really been going on. So like for him to not. In Riley's mind, this has been going on since like, you know, forever episode of the season. (laughs) It's It's true. I don't know. And I I think it's interesting that Xander is the only one who's recognizing that something's going on with Riley. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's because yeah. he's the one that Riley told that Buffy didn't love him. That's true. But, he's probably looking for it a little bit. But also Xander's recognizing in Riley's behavior, like, warning signs. Like, he's the one pulling him aside saying, hey, are you okay? Mm-hmm. But, you know, Riley's not in a position where he wants to be helped. So Yeah. He might Ugh. want to talk to Xander, who is the foremost expert on rejection by Buffy. 
so that he can tell him you're not being rejected. <laughs> Maybe. So, okay. Let's talk about Glory a little bit, because it's fun when we get to see more about Glory's lifestyle. <laughs> Her, wait, and oh god, the most fresh and clean? <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, I love like, her like, minions. I should start tracking all of I, the, like, honorifics they call oh, her. Oh, totally. I had that thought, too. It was like, we finally get to meet one of her minions. I guess there was one in a previous episode, but they didn't talk much. Um, no. This one is named, his name is Dreg, which is, like, a great name. It's exactly what he looks like. Um, but I love them. I, it's just so comical, and it's like... I love that scene. I love that she's, you know, they. it's a cut from the Scoobies saying like, oh, you know, that like all demons, she's probably holed up in a tomb, a dirty tomb somewhere. And it's like cuts to this beautiful luxury apartment where she's like trying on pair after pair of designer shoes and like sitting in a bed of well, you know, velvet or essentially designer. Although I don't know if you noticed one of those pairs was from Aldo. So no, I didn't. <laughs> um but, hey, the props department doesn't have an unlimited budget. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, um, like, blatant product placement, too. Like, oh, they just oh, had I the totally box in notice. the screen, and I was That's like, funny. oh, I wonder. But, yeah, but, like, it is, it's, I love hearing how many synonyms for beautiful and, like, <laughs> bright that they're going to come up with over the course of this. And, and we don't I even really know just, if Glory is her name, if or that's just what they're calling her. Like they call her Glorificus, mm-hmm. and then that's true. She's and she saying, says, call, "Call me Glory. Glory," but we get Tara's idea that she's probably so, so old that old. she predates mm. the written word. Right. So maybe this isn't her true name. Yeah. Um, and I do love that she just walks into the magic shop and that it's a callback to the ad that they've just placed. <laughs> like They lead her right to them and nobody notices. I mean, she also doesn't know who they are as much as this kind of played for like, oh, those dumb Scoobies, not even dumb, but just like this great coincidence, you know, like she doesn't know who they are either. She just thinks she's in a magic shop. <laughs> yeah. And she doesn't even really know if they're talking about her, like surely she can hear I don't think their she conversation was even listening. that they're having at the table. But I don't Although, think she cared at all enough to yeah. eavesdrop. I think she was like, I just need my thing. Give me, I'll give you the money and I'll leave. <laughs> I mean, she's very glory in that entire transaction. Like she's totally tempered and impatient. Mm hmm. Giles did probably overcharge her. So at least that's good. <laughs> I guess there's also no pet stores in Sunnydale. Cause like, why did she need to go to the zoo? I guess it's like a rare cobra, but she could have done that with any snake, right? I don't think I've ever seen a cobra in a pet store. I know, but I'm saying she could have used it. It didn't have to be a cobra, did it? Maybe. I think that was what was on the stone. Oh, okay. I just thought they said snake, but fine. Yeah, I mean, I guess those are my big big (laughs) notes. I mean, it's just a rough episode because it's just, even as a viewer, it's frustrating to kind of watch everybody do these things and know that there's not much else that they could be doing. And I do feel like it's hard to, as much as I'm complaining about Riley, it's hard to watch Buffy put wall up after wall, like slam the door in front of his face several times in this episode. You know, she doesn't tell him where they are. When he gets there, she kind of rebuffs him. At the end of the episode, she rebuffs him. Like, it's just a lot of, it's hard to watch it. And there's a little bit to Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance of, oh yeah, Riley's here. I should act like I need him right yeah like like yeah. Riley's like I'm here and then she like hesitates and then she's like oh yay yeah. you know like yeah. it's just not she's not truly relieved to see him it almost feels like one more thing she has to deal with yeah I mean and I guess that's another thing that like to the show's credit I think that that also can happen you know like it, it I don't really know how they could get through this if without especially without communicating a lot more um 
directly, you know, because Riley isn't her priority right now. And and there's no way that he can be for the foreseeable future, because even if everything with her mom went well, she still has Don to worry about and vice versa. You know, even if she figures out everything with Don, she still has her mom in the hospital. Like, I don't know how you could ask somebody to put you first in a situation like that. You couldn't. I mean, I guess he would just have to be okay with being second for a while. And I think right now he's not okay with that, which is... Well, Riley's never okay with being second. It's true. It's true. That's his one flaw. And he's already feeling vulnerable about that. And Mm -hmm. so, or like that he's being treated that way and like in other parts of his life. And so it doesn't help that he started being treated that way this way as well. Yeah. So, I mean, and the other thing that we didn't mention is that, sorry. Oh, it's just that the other, the rest of the Scoobies have no, are now starting to notice like you mentioned Xander, but they all found out, you know, this episode is literally the next day from the last episode. So they've all found out that he went and killed all those vampires on his own. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, I guess maybe they're not all concerned about him the way that Xander is, but they've all at least have one clue now that he's behaving more, rec- more recklessly. And being like a sulky brat the rest of the time. <laughs> he's kind of being a sulky brat. Well, the other person that we got to see again this episode was Ben. Yes. And we get to see him in a particularly good light in that, you know, Buffy's getting all this pretty terrible news from the her mother's doctor because he has horrible bedside manner and she's like clearly needs some either piece of hope or just any kind of reprieve from this and so ben walks over and tells the doctor like oh somebody needs you and he literally tells her like you clearly needed a break and that doctor's really great but he's bad like i don't know he's he he is a little sunny spot kind of in this episode you know and for buffy yeah, although it doesn't help that now every time Ben is on screen, I'm looking for clues that, like, yeah. <laughs> he's relating to the glory thing, and yeah. we haven't seen her in Scrubs yet, so. That's true. But what I think else? you're right. I mean, this is a, it's like an episode where it matters, but, like, not, there's just, it does sort of feel a little, feel a little bit, like, filler. Even though it's not, I wouldn't call it's, it filler, yeah. but it sort of is, like, one of those let's just keep it going kind of things. I mean, like, obviously the big advancements are the story with Joyce like you were mm-hmm. saying but beyond yeah. that I'm like okay um I do have to say that I uh, appreciated Anya a lot in this episode you know she had that cute line about how she's growing <laughs> in the beginning yeah. I forget what exactly the line was it was something about not wanting she to. was happy to miss a slaughter yeah 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 but she was happy to not start her day <laughs> with right. a slaughter yeah and then she also is like really pulling her weight in this episode you know she was the one that she's basically if they didn't have her, they would have been probably months behind in figuring out who Glory is. Yeah. Um, or that. So I thought that was nice. It's nice to kind of see her. Snake was even getting conjured. Right. Right. Yeah. So good on her. Um, I This has also probably been happening, but now that Tara's more in the forefront of these episodes, it's also funny to see that she's the one that calls Giles Mr. Giles. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. his last name. <laughs> I totally forget. She's so polite. So polite. I love Tara. Oh, actually, that was the thing that I wanted to say earlier when you were talking about Buffy wanting to use healing spells. And this is actually a thing that, like, for whatever for whatever reason, and maybe you can help me pick it apart, I never felt like that was a cop-out from the show. I It does feel true to me that, like, I guess because of things that we've talked about uh, that are going to happen in the future or that have happened previously with Willow is that, like, magic isn't a solution to things that aren't al- already supernatural. But I just mean to say that it's like, on the one hand, that could feel like an easy thing that like, oh, the show is just saying this because otherwise, <laughs> why would they be going through this? But I, I think it feels true to the universe that like magic really can't solve this problem for them. It never feels like they were just writing that in. It always felt true. 
No, and I agree with the idea that the science and the metaphysical don't really mix very well. Yeah. But what's interesting to me is that, you know, obviously Tara is the strongest voice here saying you really shouldn't do this. But Mm -hmm. Willow's not jumping in saying, well, maybe you can try. Like, at this point, Willow still seems to buy that idea. Yeah. Like, we've sort of hit pause on Willow's recklessness. Yeah. That's a good point. But no, I agree with you. Like, that never felt like a cheap way out for me Mm -hmm. like it felt plausible like magic hasn't solved everything on the show ever like I think in the future it starts to kind of get that way a little bit but as of now like they still have to work the hard way to solve things I wonder if part of it too is because I think maybe with magic solving problems um Willow is a little bit more self-focused on that too I think maybe if this had been her mother she might have reacted differently like, I think with this slight tiny bit of distance, maybe she can say, like, recognize that there's as much of a chance, if not more, that it'll do damage than that it will solve a problem. And she's able to be a little more objective about it because it's not her. Or maybe if it were like Tara or somebody. Exactly. I'm not really sure Willow would Right. Do she's maybe not her mother. mom. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying, though, is like, I do feel like a little bit of it, too, is that like, it's easier for Will- it's easy for Willow to say this to Buffy. But if it were her in that position, she probably would still be grasping at it. Right. <sighs> okay. I feel like that's everything I have to say. Yep. Should we move on to Angel? We should. The Shroud of Ramon. Ramon. I, I kept being like, I, I already forgot how they pronounce it. Isn't <laughs> Is that it how Ramon? they said it? I think, I that's think how you're they right. Said yeah, it. no, but I was like, I'm glad that you said it first. Okay. So, Shroud of Ramon. <laughs> Um, Ramon. (laughs) Yeah. This is sort of a like back to basics Angel episode, I think, and it is kind of a little reprieve from the Darla storyline. So in this episode, Angel is still brooding about Darla because of course he is, but um, Gunn has come to him with somebody who needs help and it's his cousin. His cousin has gotten hired to be like a driver in some sort of crime and he's kind of realized that he's too far in and that he's dealing with demons and he's too scared to do it, but you know, he can't just back out because then they'll track him down. So he, uh, Gunn and Angel meet with him and agree to help him. Of course, Angel agrees that he can do it on his own and that he doesn't even need gun. So Angel infiltrates this like gang of demons that are going to pull off some sort of heist by pretending to be a, some other vampire that they had, you know, driven in from Vegas. But of course, Gunn isn't happy to let him just take over. So Gunn takes the place of his cousin as the driver in this heist. Turns out to be demons that have planned a heist of the Shroud of Ramon. <laughs> Ramon. <laughs> Uh, from one of the local his, the local like natural history museum. So it's pretty much like another heist episode. You know, they've got this elaborate plan for how they're going to get into the uh, museum. Angel and Gunn don't really know what they're taking until they get there because we see, meanwhile, that Cordelia and um, Wesley are kind of doing the background research on what, what exactly they're taking. And they find out that this shroud is, of course, magical and it's imbued with Ramon's, you know, essence, but that basically it's going to, it's dangerous and anybody that comes into too close of contact is going to get kind of unstable in maybe a variety of ways. So what that means for Angel is that like, you know, kind of once again, maybe he's, it puts him closer to his Angelus side, but pretty much everybody feels the effects of it. And as this episode goes on, they carry out the heist. Of course, Kate worms herself into this episode somehow. So she goes there to stop the heist only to kind of get injured. And so Angel bites her and drinks her blood, but he's just doing it to save her so that the other demons think that she's dead. 
Um, and in the end, Wesley gets arrested because he's found at the seat of the crime with a bunch of dead bodies. And Angel is able to destroy the shroud after successfully stealing it with those other demons. But he's now maybe worse off than he was at the beginning of the episode because he's still pining for Darla. But also now he's recently tasted human blood and has perhaps awakened something in him. This has got to be the last episode with Kate in it, right? I keep thinking that. I and keep then thinking she that too. Keeps showing up again, and I. <laughs> She's I don't like know. a whack-a-mole. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, how are you still here? I mean, like, <laughs> I know we could solve this mystery and look it up, but I just. I'm, I know. I'm I don't want to know. I want it yeah, to be. Natural. I want to be right. One time, I want to be right. I want to be like this was the last time. Uh. But yeah, I mean, this wasn't like my favorite episode, but I did enjoy it. I thought it was really fast paced and exciting. I really liked the demon gang. <laughs> I really liked that spiky demon for some reason. Like that actor was just killing it for me. I really he was just playing it perfectly. Like he had these like spines come or you know, like point extra pointy spine that was like coming out of his back, sort of like a dinosaur. But he was like hunching himself ever just so. And I thought it looked really cool. I just really liked him. And no, then at I the end, was he was the only one really that kind of had... Yeah. He turned out to kind of have, like, the only valid claim on the Shroud in the first place because it was something that had been stolen from his people. So I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I was right to side with you. You were the best one. <laughs> I mean, it's never really clear the motivation that they have for stealing mm-hmm. this thing. Like, he only says it other belongs than, to his people at the end. Because it's true. for the rest of the time, it seems like that other guy is the one in charge. Well, I think that that is what was happening, though. I think he... Uh, as with Angel and Gunn, had kind of infiltrated his way into this heist so that he could get what he wanted, which was the... Mm. Yeah, he probably agreed to help that guy steal it because they'd get some sort of payoff. Payout, I mean, but truthfully, he was going to probably kill... His plan was probably just to kill that other... The leader demon at the end and take it. That's what I assume. So nobody in the museum had been going insane, though? Like I know, it's weird. They all started going crazy, like, as soon as they walked in the door. And... Yet somehow that thing has been in the vault for how long? Yeah, I know. I had that question, too. I mean, it hadn't been in there for that long, but long enough that they would have probably already been experiencing some problems. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so this episode starts with, like, Wesley in an interrogation room. I think Wesley is is good at playing this noir role better than most of them. So it was, like, a fun opening scene where I was excited to figure out, like, how, how does he get to this point, you know? Sometimes they're not successful in the way they structure these, but I thought this one worked well. No, and also it's a setup because obviously we've seen Angel dealing or not dealing with this whole Darla situation, Mm -hmm. and it's clear that the person they're talking about going kind of violent is Angel. Right. And that the woman is probably Kate, of course, or, well, you think it might be Darla, but... Might be Darla. As soon as we see the the flashbacks, I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's definitely Kate. So... That is a good intro to this, and mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think Wesley plays it, it really well. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a fun heist. Like I it think was it's fun. just a little bit of a breather. Like well, yeah, and like literally Cordelia, I think is as us being like Angel. You have got to stop brooding about Darla, and it's like yes, I need a break from this too. You know, Cordelia she says that to so him upset more. she cut off her hair. Yeah, it's true, and nobody noticed for ten days. Poor Cordelia. It's good though. Her hair was way too long. Yeah. Although I had noticed in a scene in um, Guys Will Be Guys that it looked like she had already cut it and they were and just they were, putting mm, extensions in or something. Mm-hmm. But I had that, been wondering that for a while because yeah. it was so long, but yeah. hard to say. But yeah, no, I mean, I agree that it's like kind of meta commentary on how we, the audience, are feeling. It's like, can we just do something that's more fun? But it really did 
make me miss specifically Cordelia, but also everybody, because it was like she had so many great lines in this. And every time she was on screen, I was just like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. You know, I'm like, she has really not been involved in the last few episodes. And it's really frustrating. (laughs) She stole a necklace. She did steal a necklace, which is not her finest moment, but it was fun. (laughs) But the thing that I thought was interesting was, like, everybody has their own part to play in this. Like, it's Mm -hmm. whether for comedy or goofiness or whatever. But I thought Mm -hmm. the whole Angel and Gun dynamic was kind of real, where, you know, Angel was asserting himself into a situation where Gun didn't think he belonged. Yeah. And I think Gun was in the right. we never follow up on that because Gun just kind of disappears, Mm. I mean, we never see at the end, like, any interaction between him and Angel after the shroud gets burned. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. But maybe in future episodes. Maybe. I guess I did really... Yeah, I mean, my first reaction... So, okay, Gunn and Angel meet with Gunn's cousin, and they explain this whole thing, and then Angel tells Gunn, like, great, I'll take it from here, and Gunn's like, you can't do that, this is my cousin, and, you know, they have this... Yeah, they're fighting about it. I mean, not only was I on Gunn's side because it is his cousin and he's right, but also like Angel is, I mean, we've seen this before too. It's like Angel is such a bad manager. It's like, he's claiming that like he can do what he wants because he's the boss, but it's like, you got to work on, he does really still have a long way to go on his people skills. But I don't know if it's necessarily because he thinks he's the boss. I think it's, you know, this is Angel fully out of control. Like this whole Darla thing happened to him. He was like, yeah, I guess that's basically true. set up for this and manipulated and probably now feeling extremely out of control. And this is just him reasserting control where he thinks he has it, which is running this team. Yeah, I guess that's true. But we have, but I guess I'm just, it, we've seen him go through the same dynamic with everybody that he's ever worked with because he would do the same he would sideline Cordelia and Wesley also you know until it was finally like we're your team and you can't just do everything by yourself so I do feel like there is also he does just kind of have this inclination to like I'm the strong you know he is a bit of a martyr (laughs) I'll do it I can take it all on myself and if something happens then at least it didn't happen to you you know but not understanding that like other people want to help for their own reasons as well right you're totally right though that yeah he's definitely acting out (laughs) But I thought it was inter- like that to me was the most interesting dynamic in the entire episode, and it doesn't really get followed up on. Um, do you think we that have it's- to focus more on this whole stupid Kate thing? Yeah, but do you think that maybe also a little bit Gun and Angel got like by being able to be, you know, they're like they treat this Shroud's effects kind of like they're drunk or on drugs. I would say, you know, where people are maybe being a little more honest than they would normally be and also a little bit more out of touch. But I, I guess I'm just saying that, like, Angel and um, Gunn had this whole shouting match about, like, you can't keep blaming me for your sister's death, essentially. <laughs> um, I do feel like maybe they just needed to say it to get it off their Both of them needed to get it off their chest a little bit. Like, Angel needed to say, you need to stop blaming me. And Gunn needed to say, I'm still hurting, I think, maybe a little bit so that they could just kind of move forward. I mean, Did I don't remember that how, fight? yeah, while they were uh, carrying the the box, they had this whole, I mean, it wasn't like you, he didn't say you did this to me, but Angel said something to him about like, you can't keep putting this on, you can't keep focusing on that and hating all vampires and Gunn said something back to him. Hmm. I don't remember the I exact that. words. Um, okay. Also though, Demon Heist, have they not heard of dollies or, or wheels? <laughs> Uh, right. Literally, you could have avoided almost this entire situation with just those little, like, you get that little wood, you know, wood with wheel, like a little square. You don't even need that much. It doesn't have to be a whole big to-do. <laughs> I guess but then, then this we wouldn't whole get episode would have been a lot harder. Like, carrying it yeah. and struggling <laughs> under the weight. And, uh, yeah. 
That's true. I don't really know why that security guard was in on it. I'm assuming for money. Yeah, and he was the way that they could get into the museum. But then, like, and the he was, was, certainly in he it was for like, money. somebody has to hit me. Because he needed it to look like he had put up a fight so that he wouldn't look like he but was. But he was, like, so weirdly aggressive about it that it got him killed. Well, that was probably the effects of the shroud. Yeah. At that point, it's, egging him on. Yeah. But yeah, he was also just kind of silly. Yeah, I mean, this did nothing to make me feel better about Kate at all. I, I'm sure we've said this in a hundred different ways, but like at this point, okay, so she's dedicated herself to being the cop that explores like weird things in L.A., right? But so she's like so even, weirdly hostile and even like unwilling more, to like yeah be, like learn about that exactly. I'm like, it's even more unbelievable then that she wouldn't by this point have heard from literally everyone involved in the underworld that Angel is good. <laughs> you know, it's like. Nobody there thinks, I mean, maybe some people haven't heard of him, but I don't feel like people think he's evil in L.A. You know, he's got this whole business where he literally helps people. Like, how would she not have heard more about that at this point? I mean, she's because she's clearly being so willfully ignorant. It's just it's just unfathomable that I could enjoy watching her. You know, like she had had to have made this arc. They really should have made this much earlier. And it didn't shouldn't have taken Angel saving her life to do it. I don't think. No, I mean, she's so angry at Angel yeah. over the death of her father that so he had unreasonable. nothing to do with yeah. that she, she's not able to do her job. And it's I'm not sure if it's implied at the end that she's going on a leave of absence or something. I, she, yeah. Or maybe it was just that she had to, like, register her gun after firing it. I wasn't sure, mm. but... I mean, I, she's so unwilling, like, to be yeah. the cop who's dedicated herself to fighting this element. She just, she's written badly, mm-hmm. she doesn't fit in with the story, and she's just there to, like, pursue Angel in this really bizarre, yeah. unhinged way. Where, you like, because of their previous interactions, you're right, it, it comes across, intentionally or no, like, she's just this yeah. old woman who's yeah. out to, like, make his life miserable. It's, it's not, not fun to watch. And in an episode that was otherwise so fun to watch. Like, I genuinely gasped when they dropped the little bottle of nitro. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, wait, duh, they're not going to all get killed in this scene. But, it, you know, like, it was an exciting heist, I think. The fights were cool. You know, they have this whole elaborate uh, fight choreography once they get a hold of the shroud. And, like, that was fun, too. You, you keep waiting for it to tear, but then they get a twist. You know, like, all of that was like, oh, this is so clever and, like, exciting that, yeah, she really was a, a, a dark spot in an otherwise exciting episode. Yeah. She's never really improved no, a situation. Never. Okay. Well, I guess for all of my complaining about Kate, though, I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was good. It was a snappy episode. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It's a welcome relief from the whole Darla mm-hmm. stuff. And I think that, and that's how Angel tends to be working, I think, is like we get, you know, the ongoing arc and then we get a little bit of a breather from it. And so surely next week we'll be back in yeah. the Darla <laughs> yeah. swamp. Yeah. It's true. I mean, I want to be clear that, like, I actually enjoy the Darla storyline, but, like, it's a little intense to watch from week to week because, like, Darla is playing, or Julie Benz plays Darla, like, something very confusing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's just like, you know, we're only on episode eight, right? Like, they've really flung us into this drama that, like, without building it up, I think that's also why it just feels so exhausting because it's like, I, I get it because they had to pay off. There had to be payoff from the season finale last season, but I do still feel like the the, the whole pacing of this of the storyline could have been improved a lot. I think that's part part of why it's like we you feel know, so exhausted all the time by it. It's like because he really just flung us in the deep I end. I do feel that's a that's a great point, Jenny. I do feel exhausted yeah. by it, and I don't know why. Like I'm just like 
yeah, here we yeah. go. Like, I just, I want to be sucked into it in a way. But, like, again, maybe this is to the show where they don't yeah. quite know what they yeah. want to do with it. And it's pretty apparent. And Like, in the, yeah, and just in the way do. that, you know, seasons two and three of Buffy just had these great slow builds to the middle of the season where then things would really get ramped up. It's like they've jumped the gun here. Darla should yeah. have been somehow more slowly integrated into the the plot line so that it could have been more impactful by the time she's kind of revealed or they have their first encounter or something. They just like rushed it all. I also just really want more Cordelia. I like everything she said in this episode made me laugh or amused me. You know, they have like her and Gun. I'm sorry, her and Wesley are doing research on the shroud and she's like, people, you've got to leave your tombs earthed. <laughs> like, like that's great line. She says she doesn't like shrouds cause they're an after you die outfit. I was like, this is just like classic Cordelia. And it's like, it's just so refreshing to just have her there equipping in the background. And even just watching her and Wesley interact, like that was all just so fun. You know, like we had talked so much in season one about how, much they had this like family dynamic and how nice it was to just live kind of in that world. And so again, like when they're not all there in the episode, it really is taking something away from, you know, it's, it's yeah, they're losing something that they well, spent a lot of time that building that's up. That's the problem because this Darla storyline focuses so yes. much on Angel and Angel's yeah. past that it's sidelining Absolutely. everyone else. And that like yeah, we were so happy Angel on his own, as yeah. we talked about before, is not as compelling as they want him to and be. And that season one, you know, when we finally were like so excited that they had this new family and like that feeling like we there was like a two or three week run where it was just like every episode ended with them like around the table or doing something together. And like almost all of them made me like choke up a little bit to just be like, oh, I'm so happy. Like, I'm just so happy that they have each other. And so to take that away from me is like, again, like and without acknowledging it, you know, they're not really driving home the point that like, oh, Darla is maybe, maybe Darla is dangerous because she's taking Angel away from his friends and this like touch with humanity that he had, hadn't had in so long, but it's like, they just aren't mixing them together or whatever. I know that they'll come back so soon, right? Soon they'll be part of it again. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Okay. Well, what are we watching next week? I looked them up and they're not familiar. Next week we are watching Listening to Fear on Buffy. I like and on Angel, an episode called, hang on, mm-hmm. wait for it, The Trial. Oh. I sort mm, you know what? I think in my head that's that episode that we already watched where Angel had to be, like, her, uh, that woman's, um, like, not night, but. You remember when there was that, like, pregnant woman? <laughs> Should I read you the no. synopsis? I want to be surprised. Okay. It's nothing Kate like in this that. episode? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I don't really want to know. Okay. Well, I'm excited. Ooh, Wesley's wearing plaid, so that's exciting. It's definitely bringing us back into the Darla orbit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I figured as much. Yep. And listening to Fear, I think I know which one I remember is. plot points that I'm seeing, but I can't remember what the, like, arc of the episode is. doesn't seem that familiar. Um, I think it's the one where... Everything kind of comes right. to a head with the whole oh. thing. Let me, uh, hmm. I know this is so riveting that we try to figure <laughs> what's out gonna what's happen happening next week. Next week. <laughs> no, that is not that episode. Okay. Yeah, that would have been quick. I know. That mm-hmm. felt a little fast to me, but. Okay. So we're watching those mm-hmm. next week. And then do you have any pop culture for us You know, this week? I can talk about some things that I've been watching. I okay. kind of on a whim. I don't know why. Um, I started watching Sharp Objects on HBO. <laughs> Uh, which is a series oh. with Amy Adams and Patricia Clarkson, and it's based on a Gillian Flynn novel. 
Jillian Flynn is the one who wrote Gone Girl. Uh, so I actually read mm-hmm. the book um, like a year or two ago. And I remember, I mean, I, I like all of them. Her books are, are worth reading if you're in, into some pretty gory crime novels. <laughs> that yeah, have, I read, what's the other uh, one? Um, yeah, Dark Places? Uh, yeah, that one's rough too. Yeah. I don't know. I think I read yeah. that one. So it's it's funny to watch it because I don't, I remember enough of it that I know, like it, it's, there's, I don't want to call it a murder mystery, but like there's a murder and you find out at the end who did it. Um, so I, I, I'm pretty sure I remember who did it, but I don't remember most of the rest of it. So um, it's fun to still watch it and not exactly know, you know, I don't, there's parts that are like, oh, I can't remember if they're adding that or if that was in the book because the book is pretty short, but I'm in, I, I don't know. It's weird. I guess I, I it's been a, lo- a while since I've kind of willingly watched something so dark. Um, I think I kind of got tired of stuff like that after a while, just, you know, and it's like, because the world's a little bit depressing. It's like not my favorite thing to necessarily do. So I'm not sure why I got this like, what was the impetus for me to start watching it? But I'm enjoying it. I think it's worth watching if you, if you have a place for that in your life right now, you know, but it's very, very dark, but not necessarily like it's a little bit gory, but it's, you know, it's, this is set in the real world. And so Amy Adams is um, like a middle-aged reporter who lives in St. Louis. And there've been recently been two murders in her hometown, which is like a much smaller, like 2000 person town further South of Missouri. Um, so her boss, this is just like the opening setup is that her boss sends her back to her hometown to like do some sort of investigative journalism. And it's clear that like she has a really dark memories of her childhood there and her family life there. So she doesn't really want to go back. So that's kind of the setup is like she goes and stays with her mother, who she has this really rocky relationship with. And you and just little by little, we're finding out why she hated, you know, why she left, why she hated it, what kind of what happened in her past with her mother. And then she's also living in the present where, um, her mother has since had another daughter who's much now, you know, she's probably like 14 or something. So she's much younger. Um, and she's just staying around town trying to figure out what happened, but, um, it's very slow burn. I guess it feels really classic HBO to me kind of, but like in a way that I didn't realize I kind of missed anyway, but also I've gotten to talk to some people that I don't normally get to talk to about TV with. So that's also fun was talking to some of our friends, uh, one of our friends' wives and some other friends that we just don't always talk about that stuff. So, I've only heard decent reviews from it. I mean, Amy Adams is... I'm not sure if I'm going to watch it. Amy Adams is a really good actress. <laughs> or, you know, she's like... Well, it's funny because we were talking about her a couple weeks ago because she was in Buffy. So maybe that's... A, actually, that's probably why I started watching it. <laughs> or at least that's probably what put the seed in my head. I really like Patricia Clarkson also, though, the woman who plays her mom. Um, and then uh, Danny from The Mindy Project, who's also Ted from Six Feet Under, is like a, is another lead character. And I just he's great, too. Everybody's great. Yeah. Classic HBO is how I would define it. Like, remember when HBO was making TV and you were like, who's ever made TV like this? No one. It feels like that again. It's like feels very nostalgic for me, even though it's something that I haven't seen. Yeah, because now everybody makes mm-hmm, TV mm-hmm. like that. But and I think it's short, limited run. Like, I don't think they're going to do multiple seasons of it. I think it's, like, short. Yeah, I don't know how yeah. to do it. <laughs> it's really it's only a think, short story. Yeah. In, like, other good TV, but also in other TV that you've requested or you've recommended on mm-hmm. here before, I started finally watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, really? Oh, my God. I can't believe you hadn't watched it already. I know. It's Amy Sherman Palladino. Holly, so <laughs> what have you been doing? <laughs> wow. Not watching okay. it. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Did you watch yeah. the whole thing yet? No, I'm okay. only like three or four episodes in. Oh, okay. It gets better. Yeah. Yeah. Well I, well, I don't know about that. I thought it was great from the get-go. I think it gets better. 
the yeah. final episode is like I think one of the best season finales I've seen of something in a long time. It was really good. But like I was just watching it and like that dialogue and I was like, yeah, yeah, huh. like it's so satisfying. The rhythm, <laughs> the patter. Like I was, I was like, at this time there are curse words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. is exciting. Um, okay, well I'm excited to hear what you think when you get to the end. I don't know when season two comes out. They put posters. Soon, I think. Yeah, there's all these posters for the show in the subways right now, but they don't say season two or a date on them. I'm like, oh, you're just advertising the show generally? Like, that's not helpful to me. I obviously just want to know when the new ones come out. I was like, oh, great. It must be coming out soon, but there's literally not a date on it. I guess I could look it up on the internet, but I get a surprising amount of information from subway ads. (laughs) Hmm. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. No, I'm I'm happy that I finally like just started watching it. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't like I was intentionally avoiding it. I just like no, hadn't of gotten course, to it yeah. yet. I haven't watched more Terrace House. I'm sorry, but that's okay. That's because oh, the only one on Netflix is the opening no. new doors, and that's I don't, not true. I don't, that's not true. Oh, that's not well, true that's at all. One I could find. <laughs> okay, well, you you have to look it up by yeah. You, uh, Boys and Girls in the City is the one you should start with, but opening new doors has been good. That last part was bonkers. like so much drama so much stuff happened good and bad it was one of the better runs that they've had in a while Mm. yeah so what team are you on this week i think i'm gonna be team spiky demon (laughs) 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 he didn't have a name but i really liked him oh man i think i'm um i think i'm gonna be team joyce okay that was my first choice but you know, I'll have more She didn't, like, really do anything, but she was very brave. She, she was. And she needs your support right now. She has to tell Dawn, so. That's true. Oof. Yep. She's about to find out that she doesn't have two daughters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so sad. Don't end this episode that way. Mm-hmm. Team Spiky Demon, I like your hunchback. <laughs> you played it so well. You deserve to come back. <laughs> hmm. All right. I'll talk to you next week. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.